feel like a dog without his chew toy, without his bone. I've been mm. looking for it and I found it. I found my uh, squeaky chew toy and we're back and we got a very interesting one today. As always, I wouldn't lead you astray like a stray dog in that sense. I'm not here to bore you. This is going to be good. But before we get into it, do you like, you know, a shirt that is super comfortable, A, but B, you can kind of wear it wherever, uh, you know, versatile uh, to the gym, you know, making coffee working going to the bar you probably do odds are you do so look no further i repeat no further ghost fits apparel ghost boo fit f-i-t promo code bold 15 percent off the whole website it's the real deal nfl players have gotten back to the ghost fit owner saying this is better than lulu this shit is better than lulu that's what they say in the text i won't call the players out because maybe lulu likes them i don't know but 15 percent off Promo code BOLD, B-O-L-D. And now that we're out of the way with that, Farah, how are we doing? I am doing great. Happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. And I just told you, kind of weird. I was just scrolling TikTok and uh, my algorithms got me pegged. I like the uh, subconscious brain hack stuff, you know, in that uh, realm. You came up, you had a portal to the subconscious mind uh, video that was probably about a million views, wasn't it? I think it's almost 2 million now, which is wild. That, that is wild. Does that make you feel kind of uh, a little weird inside at all? Or is that just kind of, you know, part of the course? Um, a little weird only because TikTok, you have to take these complex theories. That's the videos about Inyamoto theater theory and make it a 60 second or 45 second video. And so I just want to make sure always that people are getting not led astray. So sometimes I'm just like, I hope that people understand what this video really is about. Cause it seemed like a lot of people thought it was a way to predict the future or, you know, so, you know I was like, no. Or they were saying like, oh, it's like your own human pendulum. And I'm like, and people were saying stuff like, oh, it looks like I'm on witchcraft. I'm like, no, this is not, <laughs> this is purely neuroscientific subconscious mind type of stuff. So, yeah. Perfect. And yeah, no, and you mentioned it's 60 seconds, right? There's three minutes too at this point, but the average attention span, you got to be real good to keep somebody on your video for three minutes, but even less in the 60 second format, you need to come out with an attention getter like right away. So you got to kind of give them the bait, right? Yeah. Right away or else they're gone. It's a uh, instant gratification world. Uh, But let's get into your story. I found you on TikTok. That's how I found you. And then we started messaging. And just yesterday on Christmas Eve, you told <laughs> me about your story with your prior business, which was perfect because similar stories have occurred on here before. Um, so what happened? How'd you get here? What happened with face-to-face marketing? So, I mean, long story short, I created this company in my twenties and, um, I basically started doing face-to-face marketing myself. I was figuring some stuff out of college. I was trying to figure out what my next moves were going to be. And 
as I was doing it, I was like, I could start a company that does this. And um, so I launched the company and it ended up being fairly successful. I don't, I'm hesitant to even say that because I don't want people like, I mean, it was successful. We had huge clients. We were making way more money than I really ever wanted. Um, but I was deeply unhappy. And I remember I always thought happiness was some future goal. Like I will be happy when I make this amount of money. I will be happy when I have these kinds of clients. And then I kept raising the benchmark. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not happy yet. Oh, it's probably because I need to make this amount of money or I need to do this. And then the most depressing place you can ever get is when you get everything you dream of. And then you're like, shit, that's not it. And so I, that's kind of, and then self-sabotage a lot of times kicks in. And it's funny because people throw around the term self-sabotage, but you never really are sabotaging yourself. You, your inner self, your subconscious mind is working for your best favor. But I started doing self-sabotaging type behavior because I was just miserable. Um, so that's kind of the shortened version of my previous life. Endeavor. Like you, you told me you're working with Google, Amex, T-Mobile, Nike. Um, I don't know how you weren't Reebok, working. Reebok, the Warriors, um, international companies. It, I mean, it grew fairly large. I initially just wanted it to be a company in California and it grew into an international company, which is part of the reason that I started self-sabotaging because a lot of times what people will do when your business, and it's very hard for me to say no. So as my business was growing um, and you know, new clients would recommend us to other clients, I couldn't say no. I'm like, oh, I'd love, oh, Hyundai was one of our clients. And I'm like, oh, I would love to have a Korean company in my portfolio. Sounds great. So I just kept saying yes at the expense of my health. So I was sleeping odd hours. I was, you know, caffeinating at all costs. <laughs> um, just being really unhealthy thinking like, oh, that's, it's fine. You know, cause especially when you have international clients you're on different, their time zones. And I always was the type of person that if it was a big client I wanted to be on the call. I didn't want one of my employees doing it. I'm like, okay, I have to be on that call. Control freak. So, um, it wasn't necessary. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say like, no. And then it, it was, yeah, it was it definitely. Yeah, it was. Okay. Well, and that's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like a lot of us uh, like dream of being rich. Like uh, once I have X amount of money or live in uh, city X and country X, I'll be so happy. This will be great. Right. Uh, but like, what is it? What is it? Why do humans really want to be rich? Is it the power? Is it the status? What did you, what was it for you? It was to prove something to myself. I grew up thinking I was very stupid. <laughs> I just remember like always being like, I'm, I went to a high school where everyone ended up going to really impressive universities. And I was just like more into socializing. So once I went to school, um, I went to UCLA, which is a decent university, but oh, I have to say that. University, I bet. Um, a lot of people there are very smart <laughs> Another a whole, a whole different topic, but um, it was a decent university, but I remember I always felt very dumb and just like there was an emptiness inside of me. Like I, I'll never be good enough. So I was trying to fill that void with 
proving it to myself. And also I had immigrant parents. And so I think I, part of me wanted to prove to them that I could be successful in their eyes and that I was worthy. Um, but I think people are driven by all types of things. Um, that was what was driving me in that endeavor. But I have to say also the interesting thing about becoming successful is, and like making a lot of money, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I don't want it to seem like I think there's anything wrong with that. I think money is great. <laughs> it gives you a lot more freedom. It was, it's lovely to take nice trips, have great experiences, all that kind of stuff, but it shouldn't be at the expense of something. I think that you can be very successful doing something that you love, that's aligned with your values, that's aligned with your talents, figuring out what are your innate talents, what makes you feel alive, that sets you on fire. Do something like that. And then also it's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with ambition. I think sometimes ambition gets a hard rap, but I think it's good. Like, you know, you if you wanna be the best version of you, you can be, that's wonderful. But once you start chasing just a way to fill an emptiness inside of you, that's there's no end to that. You will always be chasing something that's unfulfillable. So for you, you were you were out to prove something. You were about you were out to validate your self worth or your knowledge or your yeah your knowledge. You, you you said you wanted to be smart in other people's eyes, right? Uh, it was worse than that because that almost even sounds a little positive. I want to prove that I wasn't stupid. Okay. So it was a very negative, like I, I felt worthless and I was trying to cover up the feeling of worthlessness and talentlessness. Like I just was deeply insecure. And so that also led me to some healthy paths because then I, discovered meditation. And once you discover that path, then you're like, no, we're all inherently worthy. Everyone is. And you start to kind of unravel some of that negative programming that a lot of us, most people have a lot of negative programming inside of them. Limiting beliefs. Lots of limiting beliefs. Yes. Yeah. And this, okay. So you, you started, you know, you started the business mm -hmm. exploded you ran into that standstill, that catch 22, we'll call it. And then from there, how did you get to hypnotherapy, which is exactly what we want to talk about and which goes in hand in hand with destroying limiting beliefs and all this good stuff. Right. So um, when I was growing my company, there was a point where I kind of reached a plateau and I couldn't grow it anymore. And I was always into hypnosis. Like hypnosis was something that for some reason, like I remember even in high school, I was reading weird hypnosis books. Um, and then when I reached a plateau in my business, I was like, oh, I, I think I should go to a hypnotherapist. And so I went to one and she was able to like reprogram stuff. And then I, that's when my business really exploded. Um, so it's funny that I went to a hypnotherapist and then something good came of it, but that created problems. But in any event, um, once the pandemic happened, because my company was based on events and face-to-face -face marketing conferences, conventions, experiential marketing events, um, those stopped existing. <laughs> so then I came to a place where my company was just bleeding money 
you know, I still have to spend all the money on the overhead to run that business, but nothing was coming in. And I just realized like, I don't enjoy doing this. Why am I like, I can quitting this doesn't make me a quitter. That was another thing. I think part of me was stubborn and didn't want to close the business because I'm like, it's making money. It doesn't make me like a failure. Um, and then I also have come to realize that there really is no such thing as failing in life ever. Failing is just giving up, but closing a business is not failing. So I decided like, okay, I'm going to close my business. And I started just reading a bunch of books and diving deeper. So before I also have to prefix before the everything was happening. I was in the process of opening a happiness center in San Francisco. I was studying positive psychology and I started discovering all this stuff about positive psychology, happiness. And, um, so, and that dream couldn't happen because you couldn't open a center in San Francisco. Like, you know, no one would be able to come see it, but, um, so then I, got certified and I just pursued hypnosis and fell in love with it. And hypnosis, I know there's plenty of people in the audience thinking, are you talking about like a swirling object that's going to hypnotize me into sleepwalking, going and grabbing a cheese stick and throwing it at the, no, that's not what this is. Why is there a negative connotation with hypnosis? Why, why is, you know, you grow up with these beliefs that hypnosis is like some magical witchcraft when it's, it's not. It's just, no. why does, why is this, why does society sell you on that? I think it's twofold. I think one of it is people are for the most part exposed to stage hypnosis, which isn't hypnosis where somebody goes on to do a stage in front of a huge auditorium and then gets them to cluck like a chicken. (laughs) And then, you know, so people, I think that's a huge part of it. And I think another part of it is unfortunately, oh no, my computer is about to run out of, hold on, I didn't realize, computer might die, yeah, Um, I think another part of it is, let me plug this in before I continue talking, but no, to your point, while you plug it in, that's exactly what I think of, uh, like the high school lock-in, where you'll have a hypnosis dude go up there, and some people will be scared to even do it, because they think they're going to like turn them into a chicken themselves, right, right, And which leads into the other part of it, which is, I think people think that they're going to lose control or that it's mind control Um, or even things around cults. People will say like, oh, you know, it it was mind control and they were being hypnotized or mesmerized or entranced. So people don't want to lose, rightfully so, people don't want to lose their autonomy and their control over themselves and hand that over to someone else. But in reality, your hypnotist can't do that. If that was the case, hypnotists would be running the world. You know, like you're, when you come into a session with a hypnotherapist, they do things like induce you, but you are very much aware. You are not put to sleep. So all that's happening is we're getting past, we're doing a bypass of your critical faculties so we can penetrate that subconscious more or less, or sometimes unconscious, but, um, you are still able to say yes or no to any command that's coming your way. That's why it's very important. What's that? Consciously, right? You're able to say yes or no. 
even unconsciously. So that's why it's important for the pre-work when somebody is working with you, that you, whatever you want, you actually want it because if you don't, it's not going to work. So let's say you come in and you're like, I really want to stop um, smoking, but in reality, you really want to continue smoking, then it's not going to work. But what a good hypnotherapist will do is they'll work with you on a conscious and subconscious level. They will usually combine something like NLP and do figure out what parts of you still want to smoke. Why do you want to smoke? I like the smoking example. So the smoking example with it, it's like, okay, well, you're, you're getting something from it. What are you getting? We establish that. Then we leave it to your subconscious mind to come up with other ways. So you can still have that end goal. And then we program it out of you. So it's not just a silver bullet of like, oh, you don't want that. We have, we can take it out of you because your subconscious mind will still reject the command if it is getting something from it. So it needs to be the, a good hypnotist will be able to navigate that kind of stuff so that you are completely aligned with your goals. And NLP, you mentioned that natural language yeah. processing, right? How is that different from hypnosis? It's neuro-linguistic programming. Oh, it is? Yes. Okay. I might have That's to- That's what I I, lo- I Googled, I Googled uh, hypnotherapy before this and started taking some notes and I got that note. So this proves that you know what you're talking about. I set you up. I set you up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. But okay, so how do you penetrate the subconscious mind? Because the subconscious mind is all about, you know, it's, it's what can't be penetrated is what people think. So what, how do you do this? That is a great question. So, um, there's a couple different techniques that you can do. I think a lot of people also think that you have to be deeply relaxed to reprogram the subconscious mind. That's not necessarily so, but usually that's part of it is that we get somebody into a relaxed state try to get them into some nice theta brainwave patterns. And then usually I do something called conversational hypnosis. I don't really like the traditional kind of hypnosis where you just put somebody under, then just do a monologue and then bring them back out. But what you're trying to do is you, you're getting past the conscious mind. The conscious mind will still be doing its thing, thinking, but through a couple different techniques of getting somebody in a trance state, you get their subconscious mind open to communicating and being open to suggestion. Not everybody is able to do this. So most hypnotists also will work with somebody to figure out if they are hypnotizable. Most people also are hypnotizable, but there are some people who aren't able to get to this place. But you also have to figure out if somebody is an auditory, if their subconscious kind of communicates through sound more, through visuals more, through feelings more, and kind of bypass it that way. And the best way to do it in any of the time, unless there's a couple different kinds of hypnosis, but in my experience, it's really through repetition. Repetition is mother of skill, as Tony Robbins always says. You need to have 
multiple times. I like to give people usually like an audio track. The first time we do a really deep trance, they're pretty tranced out. Like when people come out, they usually like don't really talk. The most common thing is someone just is like, whoa. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we do a lot of reprogramming there, but then just like a, spending a, a little bit of time, maybe just 10 minutes a day and listening to that audio recording either in the morning, because first thing in the morning, you're, you're still kind of in those theta waves. If you just like barely wake up, put in your headset, listen to it 10 minutes or right before you go to sleep as you're kind of going to sleep. I've always heard, I do affirmations. I love affirmations. Uh, right when you wake up, do them. Cause that's, you know, you just said your brain state is close to subconscious as possible um, or at night, like you just said. Also, uh, you said some people cannot be hypnotized. I don't know if it's, you know, something to do with their specific makeup, but I do want to say at this point in the podcast, if you think this is total bullshit, dead serious, turn it off because this is something that won't work for you if you're going to put up a front to it and think it's stupid. It just won't work. So you guys turn it off. We'll keep going. But I do, I do, I do just want to point that out because your brain is crazy. If you think something will work, it will. If, it, if you don't think so and you're listening to disprove it, it simply won't work. So back to the point, why do people show difficulties or walls to getting hypnotized for the better? Um, for the better, what do you mean by for the better? Well, cause when you do hypnotherapy, obviously, cause I've seen, you know, hypnotherapy for weight loss, hypnotherapy for confidence or anxiety reducing. Why do people have mental blockages to that? Um, so let me know if I'm going the right direction. With okay. So if you mean, if somebody wants to lose weight, but they're unable to, and they're having some kind of blockage to that, this is more of an NLP thing. But what we say is everything has a good intention. So you need to do something as we refer to as parts integration. So whatever you're struggling with, um, like give me a problem that you might be struggling with. Okay. Let's see it's a problem that I'm <laughs> maybe okay. can get vulnerable here. You know, let's get vulnerable. Let's get vulnerable. So I guess uh, maybe I'm in a little mental transformation stage where I've started doing this, this stuff that's relating to uh, self-improvement, but then I got some blockages on the side subconsciously they set kind of saying like, are you sure this isn't cheesy? Are you sure this is the way you want to go? How about that? Is that, does that qualify? Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's part of you that's saying, are you sure this isn't cheesy? Cause like this, that's like what you hear from people that don't do it. They're like, they're just giving you side eyes. Like, oh my God, he's doing this shit. So here are some positive intentions that could be about that. One of our deep needs, every human being needs this, is connection. Connection is actually so, is the number one important factor to happiness. They've done a lot of happiness studies. The most important thing to be happy is connection. Maybe part of you feels that if you pursue this, there are certain people that are giving you side eye, then you won't be connected to those people. And so there's a positive intention there where you don't want to lose connection. Got it. And that makes sense. That's just an example. I mean, we would have to, like, if I was working with you, we would spend a little more time really uncovering what that means. 
to unravel the positive intention, but that's just an example of how all our limiting beliefs, all our fears, all our problems we struggle with, there's a positive intention there. So with weight loss, I have people I work with who are obese. And a lot of times my obese clients, we uncover it. And the positive intention there was through, we've discovered this through, you know, age regression, hypnosis, a little uncovering, they were molested as a child and their way of protecting themselves from somebody else abusing their body is basically putting on weight. Is it the food part or the weight? Why weight? Um, it serves as to them, like a psychological barrier, like somebody can know they feel protected by that. So that's just an, and not everyone, that's not always the case, but I'm trying to give like examples. Um, for me, especially when I first started, uh, pursuing hypnosis, I had really strong imposter syndrome. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I, you know, like every day it was just like nagging at me. And then I discovered, well, isn't that great that I have imposter syndrome? That's making me, the positive intention is that it wants me to have more skill. I need to study this more. I need to devote myself to this. So finding out the positive intentions behind those things is I think a great tool for self-awareness, but it also helps in the hypnosis practice because we can figure out another way for you to get the positive intent behind whatever is happening. So you're saying there's positive intent in everything and every transformation, there's something positive. There's always every problem you have. Typically there's a positive intent. I'm talking about your own problems, not like problems that are created through like, you know, you grew up in poverty. That's not your fault. Um, but for your own problems, there's usually, yes, a positive intent. Um, And at least that's the way that we approach things in NLP. And the other thing we always say is the, all problems are created by one thing and one thing only, and that's lack of creativity. Really? All problems are a lack of creativity and your subconscious mind is an infinite pool of creativity. So once we discover the positive intent, we can induce a trance-like state and we can tap into that infinite pool of resources and creativity. And then your subconscious mind will come up with a new solution that will get you whatever the positive intent was of the limiting belief before. So is the conscious mind less creative? Is it more? Very much so less creative, very much so. Yes. Even when you go into creative states, that's a different brainwave state that you're usually in. And if you study like any works of really creative people throughout history, they will say things like it came out of thin air. You know, I felt like uh, there's this one poet, I wish I remembered her name. She said that every time she was outside, she felt like the wind would carry a poem to her and she would have to like run inside. But most people who are deeply creative, they're like, I don't know where that came from. It's not your thinking rational mind that's able to do that. So am I on the right track with this? Tell me this. I saw a musician, one of my favorite artists the other day, said something about only working in the nighttime. So he sleeps in the day. So obviously, like when he, when he wakes up, his theta waves, we'll say, are going at his morning at what? 9.30 p.m. 
do theta waves have any respect to the man-made construct of time or was it or is it when you're actually waking up um you can access different brainwave patterns any time of day it doesn't it's just that you happen to go into theta on the way down to sleep and accessing delta but it doesn't mean that you can't get into that any time of day okay but i do think there's um there's a lot of books written about this there is something to getting creative bursts at night no i think that all the time that's why i can't sleep i'm serious this yeah, is awesome. I believe it. Are you the same way? No, unfortunately. I I right now am not on a huge creative kick. But when I was first building my company, part of the reason that I loved building it was the creative components. Like I loved making the website. I loved like anything that was creative. I noticed that I would do best when I felt like other people were sleeping. I think it gave me a sense of quietness that I could really dive into. But I think that everyone has different creative patterns and different creative modalities of working. And so to me, when it comes to like working with artists and stuff, you find out when you can get into flow and don't let anyone tell you how to do it or when to do it or, you know, Cause there's so many rules society puts on us about like what time to work, what time to sleep, what time to do this. It's like, whatever works for you, that's your inner guiding system is just perfect for you. <laughs> Follow it. That's going to have to be, I'm going to, I'm going to clip that for the episode promo right there. <laughs> that was good. Um, so how you, you can't really tweak it. Can you? Cause it's an inner thing. It's, it's inside of your genetic makeup when your creative mind is at its strongest. Or my question is, can you tweak it to fit your schedule? So if you have a nine to five, those are your working hours. Can you tweak your mind somehow to make sure your mind is most creative at that time? Or do you want to even? I think you probably could, but there's a lot of things you can't tweak, like your chronotype. It cannot be that that's biologically set, right? I mean, I haven't read the latest studies, but the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker goes pretty far into detail. And I think right now that's the latest studies is that your chronotype is your chronotype. That's when you are supposed to be asleep and supposed to be awake. And all of us are kind of different. Some people are morning people, some people are evening people. So I think people who are morning people, like morning risers, they are really creative when they wake up at like 4 a.m. And then I think people who are late people and go to sleep later, this is also just my personal opinion, by the way. I think those people have really creative bursts at nighttime and it could possibly do with um, melatonin release and the pituitary gland. So I haven't done a ton of research into it, but from what I have done, it, it makes me think that there's a link somewhere there when it comes to your creativity. But in general, when it, I think people can be creatively inspired for different reasons, 
just like throughout the day, something, maybe they'll just get a nudge to do something. Um, and I think people who heed the call are typically the most creative and people who aren't listening to that inner guiding system get kind of pinched off from their creativity. And, and how did this all, uh, remind me, how did this all relate back to the subconscious mind? You said the subconscious mind is much more creative and there's mental blocks in the subconscious when it's not creative. Wait, there's mental blocks in the subconscious. So no, there aren't mental blocks. There's mental blocks in the conscious mind that keeps us from accessing the infinite pool inside of our subconscious mind. And so one of the ways that we can access that pool is through medicine, through hypnosis. So give me, give me two things that your clients have said to you in terms of benefits um, that they've experienced with their creativity or just overall, you know, mental health as a result of accessing this. Um, two benefits of hypnosis. How have their lives improved overall with it? Would you say? Um, I mean, so many ways, I don't even know where to start. I, I can give you just like some recent, you know, the most recent people that I've worked with like today, like some examples. Um, sometimes I feel bad if I, I mean, I don't think he'll mind, but, um, I had, I'm not going to mention who he is or anything like that, but, um, People who have, for example, social anxiety. I work with a lot of people who have social anxiety, especially now after the pandemic. I don't think people, first, social anxiety is the most common form of anxiety. And I don't think people realize how many people have social anxiety. I think people would find great comfort in knowing that it is extremely common and it is extremely curable. Like there is a blueprint to follow to help people get over social anxiety. Um, so the, there are positive intents behind having social anxiety, positive intents is that you don't want to feel the feelings of embarrassment, because if you do, then you will feel unconnected from other people, the lack of connection again. Um, another positive intent behind social anxiety for a lot of people is just this feeling of wanting to um, more or less, again, it's connection, but more or less want to impress somebody that they're dating. So there is a positive intent or like wanting to date, wanting to court. Um, So there's a positive intent there. Again, you know, you want to be able to connect with that person that you really like, but then there's that feeling that's wanting to protect you from it, possibly creating a situation where there won't be a connection. So through several sessions of NLP and hypnosis, a lot of the people I've worked with now have been able to overcome that. And to me, that is a huge shift because that directly fact that directly improves every facet of someone's life. If they are able to go out and ask people out on dates without fear of rejection, embrace rejection when it does happen, go out and socialize with people. Now, an example of tapping into creativity, you know, I don't know if I really work with that many people that have concrete creative goals, unfortunately. I feel like people that come come to work with you are already pretty creative. For some reason, that's just the intuition I get. 
some of them aren't. Some of them aren't. I work with like not all of them. Huh. Yeah. But the, like the creativity is not necessarily. Yeah, because I work with people who are. Yeah. I work with some lawyers and lawyers aren't necessarily the most creative people. Well, they're pretty. I mean, they're more so black and white. Right? They're workhorses. <laughs> If you can't tell, I'm very intrigued by this right now. I'm. This is like, oh really? This is the most natural I've felt on a podcast in a while. I have a lot oh, of. Oh, I life. love it. So here's another one. This is what I love about doing this off, you know, off the cuff. I just I have no idea what I'm going to ask. But so you said that there's positive intent behind every issue, right? Does this mean, in your mind, do you consider that every human being is innately good compared to innately evil? One hundred and ten percent. That is something that I feel so strongly about. Wow. Okay. That's actually one of my like core, core, core beliefs. Why? And you can't prove me otherwise. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to try to. I don't want, um, to. I want the world to be evil in it. I think that the only time evil exists is from fear. We are biologically wired to need each other. If you look at, and this is across every society, every culture. Have you see, heard of um, like the blue zone areas by chance? I have not. There's, I think, I don't want to be wrong here, but there's like seven or nine. Fear of being wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> probably. There's, a, let's say a handful, less than 10 areas throughout the world. There's one in California. There's one somewhere in Japan. There's one in Costa Rica. These little communities where people live to over a hundred years old. And they've gone in and they've studied, they're like, why are these communities? Is, there's one in somewhere in the, um, Italy. They're like, what is it about these communities where these people are living so long? And they have been able to pinpoint a couple things, like it's diet, lifestyle. The most important thing, again, is connection. The Harvard's Men Study, which is the longest study ever conducted on happiness, the most important factor, again, that they discovered that was linked to specifically happiness was connection. We, when we don't have connection for a while, our brain literally releases certain neurochemicals that make us more miserable. We need connection. It is biologically wired in our DNA to want to take care of each other. The thing that creates problems in my opinions. If you look at people where they seem evil or something has like gone off the rails, you can always trace it back to trauma. You can always trace it back to trauma. And to me, trauma is basically your brain has gone away. It's an injury in the brain when the brain is functioning correctly and healthy. So what, so let's like, when we're talking about what, what is our innate state we shouldn't look at injured brains for that. We shouldn't look at like a CTE brain and be like, oh, there, there it is. No, you look at when a brain is healthy, how do people behave? They take care of each other. They love each other. They nurture each other. That is how a healthy brain takes. So to me, I, I'm just like, I see it all the time. Also, when I walk around, I'm like, people are just like, I always notice like little acts of kindness little acts of like strangers holding doors open for each other or, you know, giving someone else directions. I think that people are biologically wired to want to take care of each other. Huh? What, what are your thoughts? Well, biologically, I think so men and women, right? Women are by going back to prehistoric times, caveman, cave women, cave women, women are, 
wired as or so I've read to be, you know, caretakers and provide for their family and their kids. And that comes from a place of good, right? They want to feel the connectedness. They want to uphold the family. Men, in contrast, are wired to go out and hunt. Like they had to go hunt animals for food for their family. And that comes from a place of wanting to uphold the family, take care of his wife, take care of his kids. So I think we all are the same in that sense. When you break it down in the terms of, you know, what is the, the innate goodness in you, it's the same thing. Uh, and I guess where along the lines in the course of human history, I don't even know where, how could trauma even have happened back then? You know what I mean? Like you talk about the injured brain. Where, where in the course of human history did just like bad evil come from? That's a great question. Um, Betrayal? I mean, I don't know, man betraying woman, man betraying man? Now we're talking about, it's funny because we were talking about what, so if we're going like really back far when, before um, modern times, when there's like separated tribes, right? Of tribes of people. Yeah, yeah. Then you still felt an innate need to take care of like your community. Okay. But you, there was a time where other communities were seen as threats. And so that could explain kind of, and even in modern times, there's that concept of othering. Well, and that's what, that's, I hate to get into this, but media and social media likes to pit us against each other. Yeah. And that probably was, obviously Twitter wasn't around when Fred Flintstone's running around. But I mean, when you got different tribes, maybe humans innately are competitive against what's looked at as opposition as well. But there's still a good intent behind it. There is. And there. a good intent is to take care of their community. It, and this is where meditation is so powerful. When you meditate a lot, you realize how connected we all are. And then there is no other. So is that, you, is that what you see when you meditate? You feel the connection between all of humankind? All of everything. Not just humankind. Tell me about this. this Every is about what meditation. Oh, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> meditation is oh, the single oh, greatest thing. <laughs> I want to leave this being an expert. No, I was kidding. I I do. Uh, I I have toyed with the idea of doing it. I think I should because I get pretty revved up and my mind gets going. So I think I do. Mm. So what's what's the connection with hypnotherapy and meditation? So it's funny because all these things that I'm really into are very connected, uh, positive psychology, happiness, research, hypnotherapy, and meditation are very connected in terms of an NLP. They all view things in such a positive light. So in meditation, hypnotherapy and meditation are similar in a lot of ways, but they're also different. When somebody comes into for hypnosis, there is a concrete goal right? It is something like, I want more confidence. I want, um, whatever it is to stop smoking meditation. There is no goal. All it's literally the unstriving. It is the goal of meditation. A lot of times people sit down to meditate. They're like, Oh, I can't meditate. I have too many thoughts. I'm like, Oh my God, you just blew my mind because you are such a meditator because all meditation means is you're creating the space between you and your thoughts. 
the first step is to realize you're not the thoughts that are consciously going through your head all the time. There is that separation. What you're doing in meditation is in the dependent way of meditation. Meditation literally means to become familiar with when you're sitting down for your meditative practice and you first close your eyes and tune in, usually thoughts will kick up a lot, even for a seasoned meditator, your thoughts will just start going. And sometimes the thoughts will just be like, Oh, you need to go pee, check your phone. <laughs> like it'll just be like very, but then you just remind yourself to settle into the body, settle into the mind. And then you learn to have compassion for your thoughts. So as the thoughts come up, sometimes I, I'll start bursting up laughing because you just see the thoughts and they're just like, they're really trying to grab to something. Like, did you remember to do this? Oh, maybe you should move that call to 30 minutes later, like earlier today. Like, like today, like today. Yeah. But you know, like th there will be thoughts that kick up, but the more you meditate and the more you realize you aren't the thoughts. And then especially the, one of the forms of meditation that I practice is transcendental meditation. At the end, you transcend. And when you transcend the thoughts, and uh, but again, it's a natural byproduct of the meditation. You don't strive for it. It naturally happens. And you get this sense of deep connection with everything, with all living things, with all non-living things, everything you can just sense the vibrational connection to it all. And then the funny thing is the moment you try, you're like, Oh, I'm meditating. Then you start thinking again, it's gone. It's very hard. You know what I mean? Like we're all still human. So it's so fleeting, but that little taste of it gets you back on the meditation cushion, <laughs> gets you wanting to get at peace, get aligned because I love one of my favorite quotes from the Tao Te Ching is those who speak do not know. And those who know do not speak because there is a wordlessness to the profound, like no one can really describe meditation. You just have to experience it. And those who speak do not know, you know, because there's such a deep, profound wordlessness, connection, bliss, nirvana, peace, stillness to it that you cannot experience in any other way than getting your butt on the cushion. Why, why don't the school systems teach things like meditation? Oh my gosh. That's one of my, my um, ambitions in life is I'm trying to find a way that we can start teaching this in public schools. They need to. Why? I mean, I just don't get why not. I mean, don't get me started. I think because they, I think people just first, I don't think enough people meditate to really understand the benefits of it. And I think that it would just be a lot of work and a lot of schools just want to put less work into things because it would be, kids will start riling up in the beginning. It'll probably be like a little uncomfortable. Kids are fidgety and hyper, but they've done a lot of studies. Transcendental meditation, has done specifically David Lynch's organization has done a lot of studies on the benefits of meditating in children. And they are just so huge for people to ignore. So they really should teach children meditation. I feel like I'm in meditation listening to you talk about meditation, right? Now. <laughs> I'm looking around at like the TV over there, feeling like I'm one with it, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not, even, you not kidding either. 
have you ever read any Eckhart Tolle stuff? Eckhart. He wrote The Power of Now. No, but what what's what's the premise? Um, just about how when you are stop being so associated with thought, everything when you look around and you see it, because I remember when I read the book you reminded me when you said, when you looked at the TV, I remember I looked at the tree, I was in a coffee shop and I looked at the tree and I was, it was like, I've never seen a tree before. It just looked so vibrant. And, and I just was like, Oh, I've been asleep for the past 20 something years. I think it was like 23 when I read it and I had finally woken up and I was like, life is so, there's so much more aliveness to everything when you are fully present for it. And that's the true reason we meditate. It's not to Zen out for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or however long you do it. It's so that you can bring this precious presence to the other 23 hours in the day that are so meaningful and that you can be fully there and not wrapped up in the insanity of the mind. Why, I, again, I'm going to come back to this. Why is meditation <laughs> taught? Um, and why, why, where does the negative connotation on meditation come from? Why, why, why do people oppose it? I think it's also because people are so ambitious, right? And I, I think this is also leads to a lot of the reason that people oppose happiness. People think like, if I'm happy, I'm not going to be ambitious. I'm not going to strive for things. I'm not going to keep achieving. People look at meditators and they, think, oh, they're just going to, I'm just going to become lazy and sit down and just want to meditate all the time. That's my opinion. Wow. Like when I talk to people, I think they, you know, and it's actually the exact opposite is true. You will be so much better at your work. You, when you are happy and when you're meditating, you will be able to handle problems better. You will be more creative. You will be ambitious, but ambitious to your highest values and really in tune to what are you the most talented at? I seriously feel like this is a divine timing as a podcast because I had a pretty hectic day in my mind and at my job today. And this mm-hmm. is all, I feel like I'm literally meditating as we speak. This is, this is an ad for me- meditation. And if anybody <laughs> that should read, seriously, reach out to Farah. You, what's your email? What's your Instagram? What's your pitch here? Um, so my Instagram is Farah.dyer, F-A-R-R-A-H dot Dyer. That's my TikTok as well. The, the, the viral TikTok is what it is. The viral TikTok. There you go. And then email is just Dyer at gmail.com. Boom. I, uh, I may have to indulge in some sort of hypnotherapy because I get wound up. And I mean, with, with an ever increasingly busy world and as people, you know, we have a lot of twenties to thirties listening all over. Um, they probably are listening cause they're, they're ambitious. I could probably make the, you know, the common denominator, they want to do something more, but I think it's important to slow down like you're saying and clear the, all the crap in your brain and whatever is going on. That's a waste. Cause you have a lot of thoughts and you can see when you meditate, right? You just start thinking about, Oh, the podcast 30 minutes later. Ah, oh, I want to do <laughs> this, that. I feel like it's important to use the capacity of your brain and your subconscious brain, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So hit me up and let's do a hypnosis session. I want to give you the experience of it. 
I want you to know what it's like. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't know if you were talking to everybody else. No, no, I'm talking. I want to gift you a session. I want you to know what the experience is. Everybody, are you hearing this? I just got a session. Let's go. So when are we doing this? I'll send you my schedule. You, You can book any date time that works for you. Okay, this is great. This is absolutely great. And I will let everybody know we might need a part two. Yeah. We'll back. I'll tell you what happened. You know, yeah. how I see things differently. This could be good. I think it'll be fun. So I think, I think we'll wrap up with that. You gave, you know, your, your info to everybody. Um, is there any last words you'd have around just hypnotherapy, um, happiness, anything in general, your big tied together message? Yeah, I think the big message is to come up with some kind of practice to get in touch with your innermost self, because you're whatever you want, when you're truly aligned with your highest values and your truest intentions, you should go for it full force. Just, you just have to get in tuned and learn to shut out all the noise. And there always will be noise. There always will be noise. Yes. So now, now I'm excited. I'm smiling ear to ear right now for all you audio only listeners. Cause I'm, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to, we're doing, I'm being serious. I'm not going to flip. Me too. I'm dead serious. I also may be in my ghost fit shirt, BOL oh. promo code. I might need to get you a, a, a ghost fit shirt as well. So I can go ghost in my mind. We'll see. I but, love it. All right, Farah, this was a treat. Time's already up somehow. I don't know how this stuff flies by, but thank you everybody again for tuning in. And if you like this, seriously, share it with a friend. Rate and review too. We don't, you know, we don't spend money on marketing and whatnot. And reviews and ratings really help. And it's it's been really fun to do this. We just did our 150th episode, a couple years strong now. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, you're 151, I think, unless something pops up weird. I don't know. Awesome. Love it. All right, guys. Thank you, Farah. Thank you for stopping in.